The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 4 of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season, we'll be focusing on tech and innovation within the retail sector. We'll be talking to retailers who are utilising new and transformative technologies to support their business, as well as deep dive into the stories of startups who are taking the lead on retail innovation. Today, we're chatting about tech and innovation with Erica Birchtold, CEO of The Iconic. The Iconic is one of the most successful online marketplaces in the country, and the company is part of the Global Fashion Group, which is the leading fashion and lifestyle destination in many markets around the world. The Iconic launched in 2011 and is one of Australia's largest fashion, sports, beauty, kidswear and homewares destinations with over 1,500 brands and 165,000 items. That's mind-blowing. I think everyone has bought something from the Iconic. It certainly feels like that. Incredibly, the Iconic Sydney-based Fulfillment Centre spans a 28,000 square metre footprint with 46,000 square metres of space, including one of the largest mezzanines and pig towers in the Southern Hemisphere. Erica Birchold has led the business since 2019 and has seen many achievements since that time. Erica, welcome back to Retail Therapy. Thank you, Paul. It's very nice to be here. Now, we've spoken about your retail career previously. We've even talked about all the things that sold through Yes, and you reminded yes. me about the crunchless yes, knickers. Yes, they were yes. very big yes. back then. But unfortunately, today's not about that. So we're no. going to talk about um, more serious stuff in the tech and innovation, but we want to have a bit of fun as well. We've talked about many things, but I guess what I want to understand from you today is that when you think about online, a seamless online experience has been the key to the success of the Iconic. And you need to have great digital innovations to achieve that outcome. Now, what goes on behind the scenes in terms of your tech and digital strategy? Yeah, geez. So firstly, what happens behind the scenes is that we have to be the sort of employer that attracts and retains cool, innovative, techie sort of people. Um, And that's not an easy thing to do because they have a lot of other options in this sort of marketplace. You know, we tend to kind of rotate stuff amongst us, Canva, Atlassian, Facebook, places like that. So we're not up against the normal retail competitor set, I guess, when it comes to that sort of talent pool. So firstly, there's that cultural piece about how we, you know, make ourselves an innovative, great place to work. And then there's just constantly looking at how we evolve that part of our business. So for example, this year, just a few months ago, actually, we decided to redefine what tech is in our world. So where we had traditionally had tech and then customer product all in one sort of business unit, we actually split that and I created a new function called customer. So I've got a chief customer officer And I actually took that tech product sort of world and merged it with marketing because I needed to make sure that was a holistic story in how we engaged our customer. The product features that we develop need to be marketed and actually offset some of the marketing activity and vice versa. Uh, And then tech is really quite a tight core unit of engineering, security, uh, internal product sort of work. So there was that redefinition of what tech meant uh, in our, our 
business, I guess. We're looking at how we set ourselves up to really reshape into a platform business. And what do I mean by a platform business? Our core goal is to connect brands to customers. And that doesn't have to be in the traditional sense of wholesale retailing, where we're buying things from people, putting it in our warehouse and then selling it. It's how we evolve our marketplace, how we come up with other ways of going to market, working with brands, and what are the sort of digital and tech strategies that we need to focus on to actually bring those sort of different business offerings, I guess, to life to see us evolve into that true platform business. You talked about the sort of skill and capability of your team and partly around how that's changing. Are you finding that the traditional retail skills are becoming less relevant as you need more and more tech skills that really drive the work that you're doing? Yeah, I think there's a real need to use data and particularly in our world. I mean, everybody's talking about data, but in an online world, the data, the level of data available to you is just whole next level. I mean, literally every single set of eyeballs that comes onto the site, you know, you can track that. Every single person that purchases, you've got their data. You don't have that in a traditional bricks and mortar sort of retail sense. You hope You hope to get that, but you don't actually have all of those details. So how do you actually set up your business in a way to be able to mine that sort of data and have actionable insights on the back of it, I guess, and not become paralysed by the amount of data that you've got? So... Um, yeah, and, and I it's think... It's a fine line, I take it, because you sort of need some of that retailing trading yeah. people. In fact, the data yeah. management has become so powerful yeah. now that it's a combination of both those skills. And I'm, I'm assuming then, Erica, most people don't have both. It's a combination... It, it tends to be, yeah, like you're more one or the other. And yeah. and each of them, like, you know, we call ourselves equal part retailer as what we are tech company. And, you know, I think that to be true. Um, it's about recognising the experience that traditional retail skills gives you. And you do need some of that experience but then how do you actually innovate that and evolve that and apply that into a you know as you said in your intro we only opened in 2011 it's right bit, we're 11, 11 years old born on the back of the GFC yeah. in a very disruptive economic landscape not so dissimilar to what we find ourselves in now so the ability to take the experience from the past but also the cool innovative entrepreneurial sort of spirit from the young futuristic sort of people that we have in the business merging all of that together I think is our real recipe yeah, for success. Because you think about department stores of the past, they've built their business on heritage and it yes. spans yeah. tens of decades yeah. and, and hundreds of years actually yeah. to get to the point they have. And yeah. In fact, the iconic has sort of come from nowhere very yeah. quickly in a decade. I mean, we, we probably recognise agility as something we'd love to to be good at then you know the heritage of the business our ability to pivot be nimble be agile in our thinking and the way that we do the work is actually what we need to focus on so do you think uh, there's going to come a time for future retailers that their career may start on the shop floor at their local store but in fact they've got to actually study more on the tech side yep. to actually remain relevant in this new world of um, being able to operate online. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's always going to be a place for people working on the shop floor. But in terms of career, I mean, even in our business now, we're 11 years old. I think we're pretty futuristic. But we're looking at how we reskill people from certain roles. I mean, look at our FC, for example. We've got hundreds of people that work out there, but we've also introduced automation. And, you know, we're still going to need more people out there. They're just going to need to do different, different things. things. with different equipment than what they do today. Tell me a little bit about that transition into robotics and how did you get your head around it? Because that would have been complex (laughs) to manage through. Yeah, it, it it is complex. 
at the end of the day, you, you have to step back and say, what are we trying to achieve here? So what we're trying to achieve is speed. Like customers just want better, faster, more precise delivery options. How do we do that? Well, you can't just do that through manual picking with everything, right? You're just not going to be fast enough. So then it's about looking at what technology solutions there are. And, and being a tech business, we're always looking at what technology solutions there are and how might they be useful to us so from a speed and a customer delivery proposition, yes, we said, okay, AMRs, these automated uh, robots would be useful. But then they have a flow-on effect because from a capacity perspective, like, you know, you yes. spoke about our 28,000 square metres of, of warehouse space, although with the, the mezzanine level, it's up to almost 50,000 square metres of, of actual picking space. But we're running out of room there. So mm. you can't just keep expanding your warehouse. So those automated robots not only give you speed and efficiency from a picking, but also from a storage perspective as well. They give you a whole heap more capacity um, in terms of storing product. Because so you don't store product in the sense of putting all the same things together. It's more, no, about, it's about, more about the space. Yeah, I, I think they call it chaotic uh, storage. <laughs> I love that. Um, but, you know, learn to love the chaos because it's <laughs> the most efficient way of picking and packing stuff. And I'm assuming that the integrity of the picking is much better than a human being could do. Yeah, I, th I think so, um, because it's using data to underpin it, and it's just very, very quick at pulling that data and, and troubleshooting if there's an issue. Now, imagine things have evolved considerably in the past 12 months. Are there new features to the way consumers can now interact with your brands? Yeah, look, what's, I guess, pleasing for us, but perhaps not so great for the industry overall is actually a lot of our existing features are still world-class and ahead of their game and still really at the forefront of consumer interaction. So if you look at our visualised tool, the way you can visualise a sneaker on your foot before you buy it, that's a, a world-class technology and, and AR at its best. Right. Um, and so that is still at the forefront. Snap to shop, being able to take a picture of what you're wearing and upload that onto our app and being shown some other alternatives. Or you could take a picture of someone you see in the street that you say, oh, I happen to like their dress. I'll take a photo of it and then find some some options. Virtual trial, wish list boards, uh, follow the brand, all of that sort of stuff. So they're, they're our cool existing tech features. Then we've got stuff like in our runway show last year, we actually had an NFT launched. So it was our first sort of foray into that. We auctioned off that NFT at the end of the week. Just um, remind us what NFT is for those. It's that a non-fungible token. It is something that we tried to take our customer on the journey of, right? So actually auction off this NFT that we had an artist actually design. So it's like a digital art, but then combine that with some real world value. So we had a gift voucher for 20000 so basically a customer could get every year $2,000, $1,000 in summer, $1,000 in winter for the next 10 years wow. to spend with us on their wardrobe. And then we donated the money that was raised in that auction to Thread Together, our charity partner. And, you know, so really trying to step into that sort of space and not just in a gimmicky sort of, oh, we've got an NFT, woo-ha. It's like, oh, we've, we're auctioning off and we've developed an NFT, we're auctioning off, we're raising money for charity and actually we're going to allow you to pay Aussie dollars with that rather than, you know, cryptocurrencies and like all of this stuff to just try and make it a little more tangible because we felt that we needed to help our customer get their head around that and take them on. On that journey. And then, you know, there's things like Aerobe that we launched in the last 12 months or so as well, which is that circular sort of fashion piece of allowing people at the time they're making a purchase of a new item to consider that for resale already. So look, 
put simply, we've done all the hard work of writing the description, taking really beautiful photography, etc. So store all of that stuff so that when you want to resell it, you just upload it really quickly. And we've also given you some recommendations on how much you might sell that for. So, so yeah, I we continue it. to dabble in, in different things. It's a different consumer mindset, isn't it? Because you sort of then think about when you make a purchase that you're not going to have that item for life, that you'll yeah. ultimately... To yeah. save it from going in landfill, that yeah. has a use beyond your yes. ownership. So yeah. you're making that decision up front, I guess. You, exactly. You know that you can, A, you can get some money back from it, but equally it doesn't end up in landfill. Yeah. Well, we've had 260,000 products added to people's air robes since launch. So that's Fantastic. essentially 260,000 products that aren't in landfill. The hypotheses that we want to test is... Will people then spend more in their initial purchase because they're netting out how much they might? So I'll buy this dress for $600 because they're telling me I might be able to sell that for $300 later on. So therefore, the net cost to me is only $300. So will it you know, see people buy better products in better fabrications, etc.? So that's what we want to test moving forward. Hopefully, that's what we want to see as well because um, then you've got more purposeful shopping, haven't you? See yourself boosting your business. Stack them over there. With 200,000 membership rewards bonus points plus a $500 credit. Perfect. It's possible with the American Express Platinum Business Card. To discover more, search Platinum Business today. Minimum spend $12,000 in the first three months. Offer ends 4th of April 2023. New Amex Card members only. T's and C's apply. There's a lot of innovation in what you just mentioned, and clearly this space is evolving quite quickly. What other innovations can you t- talk to us about that we're likely to see down the track? Yeah, I, I think one of the big areas of innovation is going to be around shipping and delivery and customers just wanting a more granular understanding of how we're treating them. Are we recognising them? Do we know what their delivery preferences are? Can they adjust those and adapt those pretty quickly and easily themselves? I think customers also in that sort of delivery space want more sustainable delivery options. So we need to start working on how we could do that. And that's not just about having, say, electric vehicles, but it Mm. might be we're driving down the same street delivering product as what a Coles truck is or a Woolworths truck is. Why aren't we all just sharing the same truck so there's less less trucks on the road full stop? Like how do we actually kind of work together on that from an environmental sustainability perspective? And then there's things like I, I spoke about before, the AMRs, like, from a delivery perspective, if you want to offer really quick delivery, you've got to pick and pack that stuff super quick. Now, yes. we already can do that in under eight minutes wow. from the time an order's placed to pick, pack, in a satchel, on the back dock, ready to go. But we need to get faster. How do you do that in under five minutes? Bang, get that out the door. Yeah. So, um, Do you think the consumer's now valuing convenience over price? Like, is convenience mm-hmm. has clearly got a big part to play in their yeah. selection and, and we're sort yeah. of moving from you know, from two-day delivery to next-day delivery yep. and now you've got even down to windows, yes, haven't you? yeah. I think they want that precision because they don't know where they're going to be in three days' time. No. They know, though, that they're going to be home at 2 o'clock tomorrow or, you know, I'm home this afternoon. Or So, yeah, I, I think there's a bit of research we need to do with our customers on that as well. How much are they ordering fast delivery because... Yes. They really do truly need it fast. How much do they want it fast? Because I just know I'm here right now and that's just convenient for me right now yeah. rather than a random time slot later in the week. So, yeah, so we're continuing to kind of work in that. And then I think 
personalization i mean it's going to be hyper personalization like just what people you know need to solve for like fit and styling and size and just how they are inspired so how do we actually yeah. deliver them content and recognize them when they come to our site so that we can give them the sizing and the fit information that's relevant to them and inspire them for the things that they're looking for and then you know in that whole personalization piece there's a whole world of data and privacy consideration mm. that needs to be yes. made and that will be an increasing area of focus as well. And then I guess sustainability. So, you know, that whole rise of re-commerce, you know, the re-economy as someone called it, you know, reusing, repairing, renting. It's how do we focus on that a lot more? I mean, we've just partnered with some pre-love brands called Azura Reborn and The Real Deal, which um, you can buy like secondhand, like designer handbags and vintage t-shirts and things like that. So we want to step into that space a little bit more from a pre-love perspective. I think that's huge. Absolutely. Sustainability definitely is emerging as a crucial point of difference for retail. And The Iconic has been uh, long been a pioneer in this area. Can you sort of tell us a little bit more about how you've been not only pioneering, but how as a powerful brand you bring that together? You've mentioned some examples there. How are consumers actually responding to your sustainability initiatives? Yeah. So firstly, we've taken sustainability up a level and we call it our PPP, our People and Planet Positive Strategy. So it incorporates everything around people and, and planet as the name infers. And what we realised is that we were kind of treating that as a bit of a separate pillar to our strategy. And actually, it shouldn't be. It actually is a lens in which we need to look through when we're making any decisions in the business. And and it's no longer a point of difference to actually be focused on sustainability and, and people and, and planet positive initiatives. That's just a ticket to play. Like customers expect that now. And you better be there because if you're not, they're going to string you up for it. So, look, yes, we focus on the sustainability aspect of, you know, we've launched all of those pre-loved offerings, as I said, and we've got our considered range. We were one of the first globally, actually, to launch a way of shopping via your favourite sustainability attributes. So that is about 20% of our assortment at the moment, that considered range. So that's good, but we need to get that upwards of 50. And then there's also that whole focus on the people side of things and that true self-expression and allowing everybody to, you know, be treated with respect and dignity and demonstrate mm. that. So with our runway shows that we do, we're always known for having a big focus on diversity, inclusion, belonging. Our adaptive edit that we launched in 2021, we were the first uh, major ANZ retailer to, to tailor a range specifically for people with diverse abilities. And then the modest edit, I mean, that was one of my favourite ones that, you know, a collection of culturally and faith diverse fashion and a real one-stop shop because it's a huge market here but there was no one actually talking to that customer Customer, set and saying and I actually I don't have the faith or the cultural requirement to wear that product but actually I really love some of that product and I'd like to shop via that so and then one of the the big things I'm personally very proud of but very focused on and very aware that we have a long road ahead of us is the First Nations support and First Nations fashion design. We've partnered with them. Yes, we want to sell First Nation fashion designers product, but we're not just the sort of business that can write a big check or just have huge sales volumes and just say that's as good as it gets. We always like to say what else could we do? So mentoring. So I would like to help those brands, those emerging brands and say, right, do you know how to manage your cash flow? 
I've got a great CFO and a great finance team that could actually do a workshop with you and create some spreadsheets and stuff for you so that you could actually get on top of that. Fantastic. What about marketing? Could we help you create some email templates or, or teach you about SEO marketing or you know paid performance and things like that? Like actually use the skill and the intelligence that we have in our business to actually help further them and mentor them. So mm. that's where I'm really looking forward to spending a lot of my time supporting First Nation fashion that's designers. Fantastic. Did you see yourself as a... The, does the Iconic see itself as a retailer or as a tech company? If you had to ask me one or the other, I'd probably lean a bit more towards tech mm. than retailer because retail infers a physical, like a, a wholesale sort of yeah. model and we're so much more than that. What we bring, you know, the, the data services that we could provide brands and the different business models and things is so much more than what a retailer would yeah. traditionally offer. But then, I don't know, ask me tomorrow and I might say, oh, <laughs> we're a retailer. <laughs> well, you've had to drive this culture of innovation. So talk a little bit about that. How do you do that? If some, to one of our listeners today that might be sort of thinking, how do I bring that innovative like you're yeah. at the forefront of yeah. so many things. How do you make sure you're on top of the latest trend and that you're driving that um, that sense of newness? Yeah, well, you've got to have the right people in the business, right? Mm. So that goes back to what I said at the start. How do I create an environment in which those clever people want to come and work for us and then create that environment that they flourish? Yes. So what? Give, so it might be the way that we have meeting setups or it might be that we give them a day just to have a hackathon so that we give them a couple of problems and go, there you go, hack your way through those and tell me how to fix them and, you know... Or it might be, yeah, just different mentoring programs that we have with some other cool businesses. And, yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just so much part of our DNA that it just, it was the area of the business that actually scared me the most a bit when I joined the Iconic. I mean, I'd never really had to head up a tech product team before. Because your um, background's all in retail, yeah, right? So. Yeah, that's it. And and to be honest, I don't think there's many retailers that actually really have big oh, – I think it's changing a bit now, but back in, in our day of bricks and mortar, Paul, like there weren't <laughs> many – I mean, did you, did David no. Jones ever have a tech no. product team? No, definitely Product not. was just the physical stuff you sold customers, Absolutely. right? Not an actual feature no. that you had on your, your Which app. is why I'm sort of – I'm really fascinated by the way the skill set is changing yeah. so quickly – um, and I do think that, um, in fact, if you were a young retailer today, yeah. you'd really want to understand the tech side yeah. and the innovation side much more yeah. than we did in yeah. our day back then because, of course, you know, uh, retail was was less sophisticated. Yeah. It was very much about emotional intelligence and intuition that yes. made you judge what would sell, yeah. what wouldn't sell. But now there's so much information. Yeah. It's very much data-led. I mean, it's very every tech. area of it, right? So whether it be yeah. um, the, the buyers and the data that they can have, um, you know, to make their decisions, to marketing, like... I mean, geez, back in our early days, like it was all about catalogues. And, it was a newspaper. <laughs> and flyers and yes. like, you know. It's a bit more complicated, it, but probably a bit more transparent too because you can see the results. Correct, correct. So through social media and through, yeah. through the website. Yeah. <laughs> then it's a, about, you know, what do you do with those results? So yes, if they're bad, true. what do you change? Do you pull back? Do you keep going? Do you test it? You know, so... It's an interesting world. Certainly is. Look, the innovation, um, particularly what you've led, Erica, all, all credit to you. Well done. Always lovely to see you and lovely to chat. Thank you for being part of Retail Therapy. No problem. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Therapy, brought to you by our season partner, American Express. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you give the show a follow on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of episodes on our website. We've covered leadership, small business and sustainability. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. 
You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes.